Good morning. Welcome to you. If you take your Bibles, turn along with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, be looking just at verse 18 today of First Peter chapter 3. This morning we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into the gospel. In our text this morning, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, Peter shares the truth of what is at the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the suffering and death of Jesus in the place of sinners. I think the heart of this letter we call 1 Peter is the gospel, and the heart of the gospel is the substitutionary death of Jesus. The gospel runs throughout the book of 1 Peter. Peter is writing this letter to suffering Christians. Christians who were just beginning to feel the heat and the pressure of persecution for following Jesus. And as we saw last week in chapter 3, He has written to them to encourage them in the face of this persecution that though they may be suffering, when they suffer for the sake of the gospel, they are in fact blessed. Chapter 3 and verse 14. They are blessed of God. Peter has reminded them that normally the world rewards righteous behavior, good deeds. Chapter 3 and verse 13, who is there to harm you for doing what is right? That's part of the normal principle of sowing and reaping that God has programmed into the world that when you sow a good deed, you reap a good reward normally. But sometimes in this fallen world, circumstances and cultures and governments get turned upside down so that doing the right thing actually results in persecution and suffering. And so in chapter 3 and verse 17, Peter reminds them that suffering for doing what is right is always better than suffering for wrongdoing. And that brings us to Verse 18, and the example of Jesus. If ever there was anyone who did the right thing, it was Jesus. Right? If ever there was anyone who always did the right thing, it was Jesus. In fact, because Jesus was the Son of God, And is the son of God. He always did the right thing. And always does the right thing. In fact scripture says that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. Scripture also says that Jesus always did what was pleasing to the father. Always. Without exception. 
If ever there was anyone who deserved to be honored and rewarded for their righteous behavior here on earth, surely it was Jesus. But is that what Jesus experienced? Jesus always and only sowed what is good. Is that what Jesus reaped? No. He reaped hardship and suffering and death on a cross. Despite Jesus' good deeds, righteous deeds, despite his perfect life, Jesus suffered and died on the cross at the hands of evil men. And so Peter here, in this passage of Scripture, is using the suffering and death of Jesus as an encouraging example to remind the believers that sometimes doing the right thing will result in suffering and persecution. And that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that God is punishing you for doing the right thing. But it does mean that the world is off kilter. In such cases, Christians can take heart that they are following in the footsteps of their Savior and Master, Jesus Christ. So the suffering and death of Jesus, outlined here in 1 Peter 3.18, reminds the Christian that God can bring great good out of suffering for doing what is right. So let me read for us from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Peter writes, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your glorious gospel, your plan from before the foundations of the world to redeem a sinful humanity by the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ, by offering him as a sacrifice, as a substitute, in place of sinners, pouring your wrath out on him. We thank you, Father, for your gracious plan of salvation. We thank you that today there is forgiveness for any who will seek it through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you that each and every sin that we have committed can be forgiven in a moment, in an instant, as a gift given to us and received simply by faith, trusting in Jesus alone. This really is good news. Lord, we pray for any here who aren't sure that their sins are forgiven, who haven't trusted in Jesus as their Savior yet. Lord, we pray that they do so today, even before this sermon is finished, that they would realize that they can't save themselves and they would simply trust in Jesus and what he has done on their behalf. We pray for believers here today that they would be encouraged with the good news of the gospel, that they would rest in Jesus Christ, that they would glory in their Redeemer, that they would sing his praises and live for him because of what he has done for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Grow us in our love for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.
So as we walk through this very clear verse centered on the gospel, I want us to see this morning four gospel realities that have been secured by Jesus' death. Four gospel realities secured for us by Jesus' death. And these four gospel realities I've summarized by using four different adjectives. Vicarious, sufficient, substitutionary, and redemptive. You don't have to get all that down right now. You'll see it on the screen, okay? First of all, Jesus' death on the cross was vicarious. Jesus' death was for our sin. That's the first gospel reality that was secured by Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus died for our sins. Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins. Jesus died for our sins. Now the translation I'm using, the New American Standard Bible, says that Jesus died for our sins. Most of the other translations say that Jesus suffered for our sins, whether that's the English Standard Version or the New International Version or the King James or the New King James. They all say that Jesus suffered for our sins. Now, there's a complicated reason for that difference, and it relates to some textual variants. Basically, it comes down to this. The two words died and suffered are very similar in the Greek. Died is apathenin. Suffered is epithen. You can hear the similarity there. Apathenin and epithen. Suffered is probably the better reading, and it fits more closely with the context. Peter's whole point has been when Christians suffer, they can look to the suffering of Jesus as an encouraging example of one who's gone before us. So suffered is probably the the right choice there. Of course, both suffering and death both accurately describe Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, right? It was both... uh, an experience of suffering and an experience of death. But the point Peter is making is not about whether Jesus suffered or whether Jesus died. Obviously, Jesus experienced both suffering and death on the cross. The point Peter is making is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness and yet he reaped a massively negative personal consequence as a result of his righteous life. This massively negative personal consequence that Jesus experienced included both his excruciating suffering and ultimately resulted in his death on the cross. So Peter says here that Christ suffered or died for sins. Notice that Peter refers to Jesus here as Christ. The Christ. This means that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Jesus is God's anointed one, God's chosen one. Jesus is the Christ. He's the one foretold in the Old Testament. That seed of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, all the way back there, who would crush Satan's head. And redeem sinners. And ultimately restore all things. 
for the glory of the Father. Peter here says that this Christ, Jesus, suffered and died for sins. When we look at the scriptures, we see that sin is disobedience to God. I think we can understand that. Sin comes in two basic forms. Either a failure to do what God commands, or it is doing what God forbids. The Bible teaches us that we are all sinners. Each and every one of us, we are sinners by nature and by choice. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's righteous and holy, perfect standard of sinlessness. Every single one of us is a sinner. We have all failed to do what God has commanded. We have all done what God has forbidden. Whether that be lying or lusting, whether that be stealing or coveting, whether that be sinful anger, whatever the nature of the sin, we're all guilty of sin. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Among Adam's descendants, there is none righteous, save the Lord Jesus himself. And the result of sin, this pervasive condition among humanity, the result of sin is death. God warned our first parents, Adam and Eve, that if they sinned, in the day that they sinned, they would surely die. They would most certainly experience death. Now, we know as we looked at Genesis, as we studied that book together, death is not one-dimensional. The consequence or the payment for sin, death, is not one-dimensional. Death, the judgment of God against sin, is both physical and spiritual. It is both temporal and eternal. Sin ultimately results in separation and alienation from God. And we saw that, again, with the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, immediately their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they hid themselves from God. Or they attempted to. That's that alienation. Sin has alienated us from God. It has brought guilt. It has brought conflict between us and God and between ourselves and our fellow human beings. In a word, sin has brought Death. Physical death. Spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The just payment for sin is death. What do you earn by sinning? You earn death. 
That's what you've got coming to you. That's what I've got coming to me because of my sin. Death. Physical death, yes. Spiritual death, yes. Alienation from God. Separation from God. Death is the just penalty of God against sin. And it has come upon all of humanity. No one escapes it. Because all are sinners. If death is the just penalty of God against sin, and if that sounds harsh, if that seemingly in your ear doesn't ring right, if it seems overly critical and judgmental, it's probably because we don't understand who God is is God is holy this means that he's an altogether perfect being he is perfectly righteous completely without sin God's holiness the fact that God is holy necessarily demands that he hate all sin and exercise a perfect holy justice against sins committed. Now, we wouldn't think much of a human judge who failed to follow the law. We wouldn't think much of a human judge who made light of real crimes committed And chose to simply overlook them. We wouldn't think much of a human judge who refused to punish those who had intentionally harmed others. We would say that that judge is an unjust judge. Unworthy of their position. And we would be right. Well, in an infinitely greater way, would God be a just judge and a holy God if he failed to hold the guilty accountable? God is a just judge who always punishes sin justly. And the Bible says, That God has determined that the just penalty for sin is death. But the Bible also reveals that God is not only just, He's also loving. And in love, God sent His Son into the world. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved, that's the gospel. We deserve death. God saw us, took mercy and pity and compassion on us, saw us condemned, 
and instead sent his son to take our place. So that now whoever believes on him does not perish, does not receive that just judgment for their sins, does not die, but instead receives eternal life. And on the cross, Jesus became our vicar. He took our place and he bore our sins. 1 Peter 2.24. Just a few verses earlier. 1 Peter 2.24. Peter says, He himself, referring to Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Christ also died for sins. He bore our sins. How could Jesus do that? How could Jesus take upon himself sins that weren't his own? Sins whose guilt belonged to others. Well, Jesus was sinless, right? He's the Son of God. Only Jesus could live a sinless life. Because only Jesus, among all of humanity, was God in the flesh. God incarnate. Jesus was sinless, he was perfect. As I said, he always did what was pleasing to the Father. Can you and I say that? We've always done what pleases God? No. We can't say that probably about a single day of our lives. But Jesus could. And Jesus did. This is the only way that Jesus could suffer and die for our sins. If Jesus himself had ever sinned, even once, his death would have been the just judgment for his own sin. But since Jesus was sinless and perfectly holy, he could take our sins upon himself. He could serve as our vicar. The word vicar refers to someone who stands in the place of another. Jesus' death was vicarious in that Jesus stood in our place, bearing our sin, taking upon himself our guilt and the just judgment of God against us. Jesus vicariously took our place on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says it this way, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, another amazing gospel verse. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus serves as our vicar, standing in our place, and he does so in two different ways. Jesus serves as our vicar by taking our sins upon himself, and Jesus serves as our vicar by living the life of perfect righteousness so that God would credit that perfect life to us. God credits our sin to Jesus, and Jesus' life of righteousness to us. 
That's the great exchange of the gospel. And it should leave us in awe and wonder and praise and thanksgiving. The guilty go free. The innocent are punished on our behalf. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, our sins are credited to Jesus and Jesus' holiness is credited to us. And thus, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, the second reality. The rest of these will go faster. Sufficient. First one was vicarious. The second one is sufficient. Jesus' death was once for all time. Once for all time. Peter continues in verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Once for all. The word translated once for all refers to an event with a singular occurrence. It's a once for all time, unrepeated event. Now the implication of that is that Jesus' sacrifice, one time sacrifice on the cross, was sufficient for all sins. One sacrifice sufficient to pay the price for the sins of all who would believe on him. I love how the author of Hebrews repeatedly points to the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice for sins and compares that all-sufficient sacrifice that Jesus made with the less-than-sufficient sacrifices for sin made by the priests in the Old Testament. Listen to Hebrews 7, 26 and 27. He says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, Jesus, Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered himself up. The the Old Covenant priests, the priests of the Old Testament, they were offering sacrifices every day and they had to offer sacrifices for themselves. But Jesus is the greatest high priest in that he needed not offer up sacrifice for himself and his sacrifice was so great that it never needed to be repeated. It was a once for all sacrifice. One and done. Hebrews 10.10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Nothing else needs to be done for you and I to be saved beyond Jesus' death and our faith in His finished work. You and I cannot add, contribute to, supplement in any way the ground of our salvation. 
Jesus' death on the cross was once for all totally sufficient to cover every sin you've ever committed. Every sin you will commit. I don't know what you've done. I don't know your past. I don't know your secrets. I don't know what sins you're guilty of. But I do know this. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is sufficient to cover all your sins. I know, I know with certainty today that all of your sins can be forgiven today because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It was more than enough, more than sufficient to cover whatever sins you've committed. You think you're a pretty bad dude. Or do debt. Well, okay. In the eyes of a holy God, you are. But you're in good company. We all are. Paul, the Apostle Paul, murdered Christians. David committed adultery and then had one of his most trusted lieutenants intentionally killed to cover it up. One of Jesus' disciples had been an insurrectionist. Another had been a corrupt tax collector. Many had been involved in lives of immorality and adultery. Every sin can be forgiven, except for one. What sin is that? The sin of unbelief. Failing to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God sent for the redemption of humanity is a sin. And it's the only sin that can't be forgiven. Unbelief is the only sin that can't be forgiven. Because belief in Jesus is the key that unlocks the door to forgiveness of all sin, right? So to reject Jesus is to keep the door to forgiveness closed. But for the person who trusts in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, no matter the sins that they've committed, whether looking at them at the individual level or at the totality of their sin, all can be forgiven. And that is true because of the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus suffered and died for sin once for all time. And if Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, then this has many implications for those of us who trust in Jesus. It means that your sins, all of them, really are forgiven. They're really paid for. It means it's done. It's over. Signed, sealed, and delivered. 
It means there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It means we're accepted by God. It means we have peace with God. It means that we need not now be overwhelmed with fear of punishment or the weight of guilt for our sin. It means that nothing now can separate us from the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus. It means that God himself is for us. He is not against us. All of these blessings and more come to us because of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for sin. Because it was once for all time. All right, thirdly, it is substitutionary. Substitutionary. Jesus' death was the substitution of the just for the unjust. Christ's once for all death for sin was the substitution of the just for the unjust. Look what Peter says, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Jesus, of course, is the just. And we, of course, are the... Some of you struggling with that one. Know what role you play, that's important. We are not the just, we are the unjust. Our culture is currently very interested in the topic of justice, valuing justice. That's good and right. We're pro justice people, are we not? Because God is about justice. But let's be very clear, we are not playing the role of the just. We are guilty as the unjust. Only the Lord Jesus is perfectly just. Jesus is just. He lived his whole life in accord with God's law, always doing what was good and right in God's eyes. We are the unjust, failing to live in accord with God's law falling short of God's holy standard of perfection. One of the possible translations for the word unjust is crooked. We're not just, we're crooked. We're bent. Our lives are crooked. If God's righteous demand is thought of as a perfectly straight line, our lives are crooked by comparison. I was on a flight a few weeks ago and I was reading a book and I was trying to underline some important sections that I thought were helpful. But we were experiencing some significant turbulence and it made it almost impossible for me to draw a straight line under the words. I mean, it looked like a toddler had gotten a hold of my book. Our sin natures are like that. Turbulence. Making it impossible for us to draw a straight line of righteousness with our lives. But Jesus is the just his life was a straight line of righteousness. 
We are the unjust. Jesus the just took the place of the unjust. The just for the unjust. The language and imagery that Peter uses here is pretty clearly lifted right from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, that incredible passage which predicts the suffering servant, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, who would suffer and die in our place. Listen to the substitutionary language that Isaiah uses there and that Peter borrows from. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore. Our griefs He bore. And our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned away to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he, God, will see it and be satisfied By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their sin. Isaiah 53 is riddled with substitutionary language. The righteous for the unrighteous. The just for the unjust. It's the language of exchange. The language of substitution. Jesus takes upon himself our sins... And as a result, we take upon ourselves His righteousness. He confers His righteousness to us. The just for the unjust. And in the just, standing in for the unjust, the unjust become just. Final word, number four, redemptive. Jesus' death was necessary in order to bring us to God. The giving of the just for the unjust was done with great purpose. Look at that purpose clause. So that the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Our sins have alienated us from God. On our own, we are far from Him. 1 Peter 2.25 reminds us that we were continually straying like sheep, but now we've returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. We were straying like sheep. We were lost. What does this straying look like? Listen to this description in Romans 3.10-18. through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the paths of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what a wandering sheep looks like. That's who we all are outside of Christ. We are far from God. We're like the prodigal son living in a distant country, far away from our father, squandering our lives and his inheritance with loose living. Whereas before we placed our faith in Jesus, we were separate from God. We were without God and without hope in the world. Now we've been brought near. And we can go boldly before the throne of God, knowing that we're fully accepted and beloved of God. But Jesus, the just, has given himself for the unjust. In order to bring us to God. In order to take us by the hand as it were. And lead us in reconciliation. Before the Father's throne. And join our hand with God's hand so to speak. To bring us to God. Jesus is our peacemaker. He's brought peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus voluntarily became obedient to death, even a death on the cross. And yet three days later, he was made alive by the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus accomplished it. He was put to death in the flesh, as Peter goes on to say at the end of verse 18. Put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The result of Jesus' death on the cross for the one who has faith in him is the end of all alienation from God that sin has created. We are brought near to God by the blood of Christ. So near that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is good news. There is no better news on earth. This is the best news on the planet. To know that no matter what you've done, no matter the sins you've committed, they can all be forgiven at the cross. Jesus came for you. He came for me. To bring us to God. And the means for doing that was his cross. Where he bore our sins. And offered himself a sacrifice once for all. To bring us to God. Jesus' suffering and death on the cross was vicarious, sufficient, substitutionary, and redemptive. It was an all-sufficient, redemptive, vicarious substitution of the just for the unjust. Just for the unjust so that God could be both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. 
So what do we do? Well, if you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you're not sure you're a Christian, trust in Jesus as your Savior. He's done it all. He paid the price. It's all right there. Don't take my word for it. You're thinking people. Read the text yourself. God did in Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. He did it as an act of His grace and mercy and love. And He offers it to you today. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Turn from unbelief. Stop being unbelieving and believe on the Lord Jesus today. Christian, what does this mean for you? Rejoice. Rest in what Jesus has done for you. Rest in what God has said about you on the basis of His Son. Rejoice knowing your sins are forgiven. Eternal life is your possession. And an eternal home in heaven is your future. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for its good news to humanity. Where would we be without it? We would be without hope and without God in the world. We thank you for the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus that nothing more needs to be done. No effort needs to be further expended. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. And with that utterance, he spoke a blessing over all who would believe on him. Blessing today we enjoy simply by faith. Lord Jesus, help us to center our lives on the gospel. To center our thinking around the gospel. To believe it, to live it. To rejoice in it. For any unbelievers here, Lord, may they trust in you right now. Just calling out in faith and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust in your son and his finished work on the cross. That he bore my sins. That he might bring me to God. Thank you for the gospel, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the gospel, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gospel, Holy Spirit. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.